0: commemorates as we know the first advent of the first coming of Jesus but he's coming again and that's the hope that we have and wherever you are in life whether it's in the middle of an illness the middle of a of a fractured relationship middle-of-marriage difficulties. Marriage uh, sometimes can can really put stresses and pressures on us. Uh, Maybe it's in your job. Wherever you need a miracle, I want you to know Jesus is on his way and that's what Advent is all about. This year we've done something a little different. We've revisited the entire Christmas story by focusing on prophecies, Old Testament prophecies concerning The coming of the Messiah, given to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Hundreds of years, of course, before he came. uh, We talked about the person of the Messiah. Who will this person be? Last week, we talked about the practice of the Messiah. What will the Messiah do? And I had 10 points last week and I had a lot of people rib me before service, but afterwards I had a lot of people say, wow, that was really good. We really enjoyed all the scriptures. We really enjoyed being able to connect the dots between the Old Testament prophecies and the New Testament fulfillment. So I'm going to do another 10-point sermon today. It's on the back of your program. You can go to UVersion if you have a tablet or a smartphone, and all the scriptures are there. But today we want to talk about the passion, the passion of the Messiah. We're going to answer the question, how will he help us? Now, we often think of the passion of Jesus during Lent, during the Easter season, rightfully so. But I want to propose to you today that the reason that Jesus was born was ultimately so he could die. So we've got to visit the passion of the Messiah. We have a graphic I I just want you to look at for a minute because I think it really helps us understand this is the season, but the reason that he came was for the crown of thorns, for the cross that we might have salvation. The passion is, is again, usually used during that passion week leading up to Jesus. And we know the Jews were focused on the political reestablishment. They were politically minded. They wanted Israel as a nation, not just as a kingdom. And God was working on his kingdom that would include not only Israel, but all nations— There's no Jew or Gentile anymore. There is one kingdom, all who have accepted the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the Jews generally kind of missed this aspect of the suffering or the passion of the Messiah because they were so focused in on man this guy's gonna come and overthrow the Roman government he's gonna be our political ruler we're gonna have a a nation they wanted to see a ruling king or a reigning king and the reestablishment of their political nation and they missed a lot of the passages in the Old Testament that The Messiah really wasn't going to come and take the world over. He was going to come, and he was going to die for the world. He was going to suffer. There was that passion. Now, we know that Christ is coming again. Praise the Lord. Don't ever, ever lose that blessed hope. Jesus is coming again, and he will rule and reign. There will be a political establishment And Jesus will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we've studied that in Revelation. For a thousand years, he will rule and reign. That is still coming. But right now, I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus was prophesied to come as the Old Testament Messiah the first time around, primarily to go through the passion of going to the cross for us Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the passages that talks a lot about the passion of Jesus I want you to turn there today it's quoted in the New Testament this one chapter we're gonna read the whole chapter all 13 verses 12 verses Isaiah 53. We're going to read all 12 verses, and I, I want you to hear this. This chapter, Isaiah 53, is quoted in the New Testament more times than any other Old Testament scripture. In fact, if you're curious, it's 41. 41 times in the New Testament, you will find Isaiah 53 quoted. So it's very, very important. In these 12 short verses, we're going to find really a lot of very specific details. Prophecies related to the life, the suffering, the passion, the burial, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of the Messiah. And the prophet Isaiah reports from uh, really, a post crucifixion perspective. Now, he wrote it pre crucifixion, but through the Holy Spirit, he's writing and he reports it from a post crucifixion perspective. And he details the passion of the Savior by saying this verse 1 Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should even desire him. He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned to a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your Holy Spirit that abides in each of us will now give us clarity to your word. It's amazing, Lord, to read these verses that were penned thousands of years ago, even before the birth of Jesus. Yet we can see how vividly they describe the life and the death of Jesus. So, Lord... During this Advent season, as we begin to celebrate Christmas and the coming of Jesus, may we remember that he came for a reason, and that was to give his life for us, to forgive us of our sin, to give us abundant life here and eternal life with you. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice a couple things about this particular passage of Scripture. It says he came in obscurity. He came in obscurity. He appeared at the right time, although at a time of extreme spiritual dryness. Man, there was no revival in the land here. Jesus showed up when it looked like nothing was happening. He does that in our lives. He does that in our churches. We need to pray. We need to do our part. But friends, the reason that Jesus moves upon certain congregations is by the sovereign will of God. And we need to realize that, that sometimes in the midst of spiritual dryness, God is still working. He came in obscurity. He was hidden from the general public. That's what that term tender shoot means. He grew up under the watchful eye of the Father. He didn't bear any outstanding attractiveness or anything to distinguish him from any other Jewish kid. He didn't grow up as one of the elite, one of the beautiful people. He didn't have a star of power. He came in obscurity. This Savior of mankind, this Redeemer of Israel, would not even be born to remarkable parents. Joseph and a young virgin by the name of Mary. And he was born in a very unremarkable place, as we know, a stable in a manger. And he suffered painful apathy and rejection by the very people that he came to save. Man, they were just apathetic. John 1.10 says that he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. We often need to ask ourselves, do we recognize what Jesus is doing in our life. Sometimes we want Jesus to appear this way, yet he comes this way. Yet he's still working in our life, in our midst. And we read about how he would suffer this excruciating pain. And we're going to talk specifically about that in a moment. That's really what my ten points are about. excruciating pain and death. Not because of anything he had done, but because of our sin. And it's really hard to miss the contradiction and the grave injustice here. All these negative terms that we read. Our griefs he bore away. Our sorrows he carried. We transgressed, yet he was smitten. Is that interesting? We sinned, yet he was crucified. Our punishment fell on him. We're healed, but he's the one that took the scourging. Notice the plurals. It was our sins that brought his sorrow and pain and grief and suffering. And this is some 800 years before the actual event ever occurred. It is amazing, friends, to know how accurate the Old Testament Messianic prophecies are and how accurately they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the point is, friends, today, not to keep the fact that Jesus died in mind because I'll tell you a secret. Everyone dies. Jesus died, but I'll die and you'll die too. The fact is, He died for my sin. He died for my salvation. That's the spiritual truth. Not that he just died, but he died for a reason. He came for a reason. This is the reason that he was born. He responded to unjust punishment with what? Defenselessness. He didn't defend himself. Complete submission, didn't even open up his his mouth. He was oppressed and afflicted. And the Gospels carefully point out the fact that Jesus' silence as the accusations were hurled against him. Man, don't you appreciate what Jesus did for you? Man, he would be oppressed and judged by the very people that actually deserved the punishment. But his sacrifice redeemed us. (laughs) We were ransomed, or we were captive to sin. And Jesus came, paid that ransom. Someone had to pay. The Old Testament says that there needs to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Sin has to be punished. And Jesus took that for me, and Jesus took that for you. Praise the Lord. That's the fulfillment. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. No wonder we can have a joyous Christmas. No wonder we can say, Merry Christmas. Why? Because Jesus did all that for us. We need to exalt him. Man, Philippians chapter 2 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, because that was humiliating. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah 53 is just a a power-packed chapter, but Psalm 22 is a parallel chapter. We're not going to take time to read Psalm 22, but I want you to do that this week. I want you to reread Isaiah 53, and then I want you to read Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 is the most detailed about the suffering or the passion of the Messiah. The Messiah being Jesus. Man, the suffering that we see in Psalm 22 and other psalms, and you'll see on your outline this morning I've used several other texts as well, To show you how those prophecies were accurately fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. The details of his suffering are, are just amazing. Little things like, number one, he would not suffer any broken bones. That's what the Bible says. The Messiah, when he goes through his passion, will not suffer any broken bones. We see that in Psalm 34. And on your outline, you'll see I've got ten things that Jesus went through on the cross. I've got the Old Testament reference that you can look up, and then I've got the New Testament fulfillment, just like I did last week. Psalm 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, we quote that all the time. We even take that which was meant for Jesus, and we apply it to ourselves. It's really meant for Jesus. And then the verse goes on to say in verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now why would the psalmist even put that in there? It's because the Holy Spirit was giving the Jews and the Gentiles of that day some insight of the Messianic prophecy of what the Messiah would do for them. It wasn't about a political overthrow. It wasn't about a government or a nation. It was about a spiritual kingdom that Jesus would introduce through his life, through his teaching, through his examples, and ultimately through his death. It was fulfilled in John chapter 19. Then the Jews, the Bible says, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was the high day, asked Pilate that their legs would be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. Remember, there were three people crucified that morning. You often see three crosses jesus was on that center cross and there were two other criminals on either side of him so the soldiers came it says and broke the legs of the first man and of the other so two of them got their legs broke but coming to jesus when they saw that he's already dead they decided not to break his legs It's incredible. That prophecy from hundreds of years ago that was fulfilled on that day. It says one of the soldiers, though, did pierce his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. That was also prophesied. And he who is seen has testified, his testimony is true, He knows he's telling the truth. So why? So that we can believe. If you are not a believer of Jesus, I pray that by the time you leave this building, you will see that those things prophesied in the Old Testament all came true in Jesus. and Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is the one that can fill your heart with joy this Christmas season. The second thing that we see in the Old Testament in Psalm is that there would be false witnesses. Psalm 27 says, Don't deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries. Well, what's an adversary? There's either an ally, someone's with you, or an adversary, someone that's against you. The Scripture actually uses the word false witnesses. Four false witnesses have risen against me. And that happened, we know, to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, but later only two came forward. Matthew 26, 50, check it out. The third thing I want you to notice today is that it was prophesied that he would be struck on the head, prophesied in the Old Testament, Micah. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. Listen to this. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel. That's another name for Jesus. They will smite him. And that came true. We read in Matthew chapter 27. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Another Old Testament prophecy is found in Psalm chapter 69, and that is the fact that they gave Jesus vinegar and gall. You've seen that in passion plays and, and uh, events that we uh, portray around Easter time. How Jesus was thirsty, so they gave him Vinegar why they do that? Well, they did it kind of just to be obstinate toward him. But in the bigger picture of things, they did it because God had prophesied it would happen. And he fulfilled that prophecy. Psalm 69, reproach has broken my heart. I'm so sick. I looked for sympathy. There was none. I looked for comforters and didn't find any. And they gave me gall for my food, and for my f- thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And again, in Matthew 27, which is kind of the descriptive New Testament um, passage of the suffering of Jesus, it says, when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling." To drink it. Another prophecy as we talk about the passion of Jesus was they divided his clothes. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my clothes among them, they cast lots for my garments. (laughs) Again, Matthew 27. Bible says, when they crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. Man, it's remarkable, isn't it, that all these prophecies of the Old Testament came true, came to pass just exactly the way God had ordained. He was betrayed by Judas. We all understand that. Judas was one of the original apostles and betrayed him. It's prophesied, Psalm 41. Jesus knew that would happen. Not necessarily because of his divinity. And remember, Jesus was fully God and fully human. But Jesus knew that would happen because Jesus read the Old Testament. That was his rule of conduct. He was a a Jew. He would have read many times Psalm 41 that says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus knew that would happen, and it did in Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? You ever notice that Judas is the one that initiated that? It wasn't the chief priest that got Judas aside and said, Hey, Judas, what do we have to do in order for you to betray Jesus? The sin and the evil in Judas's heart, he was the one that went to the chief priest. And the Bible says they weighed out 30 pieces of silver And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. I think of that scripture often because even though I've accepted Christ, even though I walk in the righteousness of Christ, I know that my fleshly human nature is sinful. It's evil. That's why we have to walk in the Spirit. Every single moment of every single day, we need to be submitted to the Holy Spirit so that we don't veer off the course as Judas did. We already read it. He was spit upon. That's the seventh thing I want you to notice. It's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 50. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26. The eighth thing, as we read about his side, was pierced. I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they pierced and they will mourn for him. Zechariah chapter 12. Fulfilled in John 19, as John records, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a sword and immediately blood and water came forth. What else happened that day? Well, remember how after Jesus gave up his spirit, said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Took his last breath and he died. And remember what the Bible says? Darkness came over the earth. We know that from Matthew 27. From the sixth hour, darkness fell on the land until the ninth hour. For three hours it was dark. Why was that? Well, in the spiritual realm, it was to fulfill the prophecy found in Amos chapter 8. Amos 8 says it will come about in that day that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Man, doesn't this just excite you to see how Jesus and his passion for us was all prophesied and all fulfilled when he went to the cross. But remember, he couldn't go to the cross until he arrived in the manger. That's why this Advent season, this Christmas season, we need to remember the real reason. Number 10, through all this, he didn't pick up an offense. He didn't start spewing negative curses upon those that opposed him. He interceded for his enemies. Think about that. He interceded for those very people who were nailing him to the cross. Isaiah prophesied it. He himself bore the sin of many and he interceded for the transgressors. And it's fulfilled in Luke chapter 23. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. (laughs) They don't know what they're doing. Oh, that you and I, could be more like Jesus in dealing with those who oppose us if we as a church if we as the body of Christ could be more like Jesus with the cultural wars that we're engaged in pretty remarkable isn't it ten things I pointed out to you about the passion of Jesus about the death of Jesus that were all prophesied in the Old Testament now the odds of one man fulfilling these specific prophecies are phenomenal I'm not a mathematician I I, I didn't cover all the prophecies and the one class that I was afraid I was going to fail in college so I withdrew was statistics I got so frustrated. The thing I learned from statistics class, you can make them say whatever you want. You know? But I want you to know, one expert calculated just eight. Now, I've given you ten prophecies. But what is the probability eight of these prophecies would come true in one man and it's 1 to 1017 I want you to look at this number this is the odds (laughs) that eight of those prophecies would come true in one man's life now here's what I want you to try to grasp because I think you'll appreciate God and his word This is the odds that eight of those prophecies would come true. Theologians that have studied the Bible tell us there are 43 prophecies in the Old Testament that were all fulfilled in Jesus. Can you imagine how many zeros would be behind that? This is just eight prophecies. There were 48 that actually came true. Friends, the conclusion of this message, I just want to proclaim, you can be absolutely, positively assured today that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He is our promised Messiah. He is our promised Savior. And if you've not ever accepted him in a personal way, most of us have accepted him intellectually. Oh, yes, Jesus, the Son of God. But he wants to walk with you through this life. He wants to give to you his Holy Spirit so no matter where you are, he's accessible to you. Jesus wants to forgive your sins. Jesus wants to be your very best friend. This man of sorrows is actually also the man of joy. He suffered because of our sins. And not just our sins, but really technically, theologically, the aggregate sins of every person who's ever lived and ever will live. He took our punishment that we might be reconciled to God. And that's such a simple process. And it'll be the best Christmas gift you'll ever receive. If this morning you just open up your heart and say, Jesus, thank you for being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. I accept you today as my Lord and as my Savior. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to be one of your disciples. And if you want to do that this morning, it's it's a heart issue. Now, we've got some prayer team members that will be down here at the front afterwards. We have people at the Welcome Center. Anyone that has a lanyard, you could go up to and say, you know, I, I accepted Christ today. And they'll help you. They'll give you a Bible. They'll give you some things that will really enhance your experience this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that we need to fix our eyes. Not upon a manger, although that's part of the story. Not upon a cross, although that's part of the story. Not upon the scriptures themselves, but that's part of the story. But the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You got it? It's about an individual, a person. Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. King James says he, you know, is the beginner or the beginning and the end of your faith. He's the one that went from the manger to the cross for you. Let's read it. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a time to celebrate Christmas. Remember him. Let's worship him. Let's live for him today. Would you just close your eyes and would you just repeat this prayer after me? And I don't want you to repeat it because I'm asking you to. I want you to repeat it because you really, really want to know Jesus in a personal way. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I accept you are the Messiah. And today I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for going to the cross paying the price for my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a desire to live for you. I receive you on this third Sunday of Advent. And I'm expecting great things to happen in the months ahead as my eyes are fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand.